Well, this is the second episode in a row that is a men's exclusive, but it's another one with a special guest as this weekend, rivalry renewed. We got a couple big-time rivalries that are being renewed. For example, my alma mater, Seton Hall, taking on Rutgers in the Garden State Harbor Classic, but Georgetown, Syracuse, which, as I've stated before, the Igloo will be there on Saturday, and a preview of that game will be featured, as well as a recap of Tuesday and Wednesday's action here on this edition of the Igloo. So, let's start with what happened Tuesday, right? Butler hosting Yale in a battle of Bulldogs. I mean, this Yale team is good. I'm not going to deny that. They're probably, you can make the argument, they are the best team once again in the Ivy League. They won the league title last year. But in this battle of Bulldogs, Butler got out to a nine-point lead at the break. And Butler's biggest lead was 15, which they were able to get to. Trying to find where they got to it. I guess I. Aha! It was it was early in the game. It was halfway through the first half. It was twenty two to seven, but Yale they would not go away. But Butler does enough to pull away, to improve to seven and three on the year. Final score. 71-61. Manny Bates, 22 points, 7 boards. By the way, only 6 available for Butler in this game. Well, not available, but 6 players that they played. 22 points, 7 boards for Manny Bates on 9-15 shooting. 14 each for Seamus Lukosius and Jaden Taylor, who were the two key freshmen from last year's team. Lukosius with 4-5 from deep, 5-8 of eight from the floor. Taylor, 3-6 for six from the floor, 1-3. of three. From behind the arc, and Taylor, by the way, 7 of 7 from the charity stripe. 11 for Eric Hunter Jr., only 5, though, for Chuck Harris. But off the bench, 5 points in 28 minutes from Pierce Thomas. Thomas was 2 for 3 from the floor, 1 of 1 from deep, even 50% both from the field and from 3 for Butler. Leading the way for Yale, 14 each from EJ Jarvis and Bez Mbang. Jarvis was 6 for 12 from the floor and 1 of 2 from deep. Mbang was 6 of 11 from the floor, 0 for 3 from behind the arc. 9 points from August Mahoney, all from behind the arc where he was 3 for 5, by the way. Saratoga Springs, New York native, so only about an hour and a half from me. Matt Noling, 6 points, 10 rebounds, but just 3 of 10 from the field. The bench was decent for Yale. They had 4 come off the bench in this game, combining for 13 points, six of which came from Isaiah Kelly in 16 minutes. They got a three from Jack Malloy in 15 minutes, and then two points each from Yassine Garam and Michael Feinberg. And then five points in 31 minutes back to the starters from John Pulikaitis. Just one of five from deep, one of nine overall. In the second game of that doubleheader on FS1, Marquette hosting North Carolina Central and Marquette bouncing back from a heartbreaking loss to Wisconsin, their in-state rivals, with a 90-78 win. Although Marquette, they never trailed, led by as many as 28, but the final margin's only 12. I mean, they defensively, great first half. They were up 52-29, but they gave up 49 points in the second half. So leading the way for Marquette, Omax Prosper, 25 points, 11 of 14 from the field, and 1 of 2 from deep. 16 from Cam Jones, 6 of 11 from the field, 2 for 6 from deep. 10 points, 4 boards, 7 assists from Oso Iguodaro, and he was 5 for 5 from the field. Stevie Mitchell was with 9 points, 6 points, 6 dimes from Tyler Kolick, 2 for 4 from deep, 2 for 5 overall, and then off the bench, how about three different players with eight points each? Joplin, Sean Jones, and Ross. Joplin, two for four from deep, three for five from the floor. Jones, also three for five, but two for five 
from deep and then Chase Ross, eight points, three boards, three assists. Strangely enough, three for five from the field. And by the way, Marquette shot 63% from the field, which is actually better than what they shot from the free throw line, which was nine of 16. And they were nine of 23 from deep. NC Central shot it well, 46% from the field, 45% from deep at nine for 20. Leading the way for the Eagles, 18 points from Justin Wright. 5 of 13 from the floor, 3 for 6 from behind the arc. Their center, Brendan Medley-Bacon. I could, <laughs> Which, by the way, if you flip his last names around, is what I crave every Saturday morning, a Bacon Medley. 10 points, 8 boards from Chris Monroe. Yeah, that's right, Chris Monroe, the former Providence Friar. By the way, their other two starters went scoreless. But off the bench, I mean, they played six guys off the bench and all of them scored. Thirty-four combined points from the bench, nine of which came from Jadarius Harris. Six each from Daniel Oladapo, Devin Butts, and Fred Cleveland Jr. Five from Nicholas Fennell and two points in four minutes from Cameron Butler. So Marquette up to seven and three. They got, um, like Butler, they only got one more non-conference tuna. Butler is going to visit Cal on Saturday, who, if I'm not mistaken, still hasn't won. While Marquette, they got a big game, a little bit of an old school rivalry from back in the 70s and 80s as they visit Notre Dame. In South Bend. So on Wednesday, a lot of games. Well, let's start first and foremost. The Big East opener. St. John's hosting DePaul. I mean, the game went about as at how anyone would expect, right? DePaul still very much shorthanded without Nick Ongenda, Yorane. Which are two of their bigs that they absolutely need in games like this. Especially when you go up against a guy like Joel Soriano who's had a monster year in the early goings. And by the way, it was spicy for the fact that after the game, David Jones, you know, in the handshake line, multiple Blue Demons faded him. Can you blame him? As Blue Demon DeGen would say, one of my... Favorite Twitter accounts in all of Big East low no Big East land. But St. John's wire to wire, led by as many as 24. They win at 86-67 with Joel Sorry. All five starters in mind you in double figures. Soriano with 17 points, 14 rebounds. Andre Corbello, 15 points, five assists, seven of nine from the floor, one of two from deep. 13 points, six boards, six assists from Posh Alexander. David Jones, against his former team, 11 points, 8 rebounds, 5 of 12 from the floor, 1 of 4 from behind the arc. 10 points, perfect 4 for 4 from the floor, 2 for 2 from deep for Montez Mathis in 19 minutes. Off the bench, Rafael Pinzone with 9 points, 4 of 8 from the floor, 1 of 3 from deep. 6 points for Dylan Adewusu in 17 minutes. 3 points in 3 minutes from Omar Stanley. And then Isaiah Naiwi with 2 points in 5 minutes. As a whole, St. John's, nearly 51% from the field, out-rebounded DePaul, 45-35. to And DePaul was also, I mean, they did not shoot the ball well. 6 of 11 from the free throw line, 7 of 30 from behind the arc, and under 40% overall. And at least the bench looked good, so that's a positive. Zion Cruz, freshman from Trenton, 14 points, 6 of 12 from the floor, 2 for 4 from deep. 13 from Deshaun Nelson on 6 of 6 shooting. 11 points for Javon Johnson. Hard to live up to that National Player of the Week reputation coming off two monster games against Sanford and Loyola. 
So 11 points, three boards, four assists, just five of 13 from the floor. One of four from deep. Philmont Geber went nine points. Six points from Errol Penn to go with seven rebounds. Jalen Terry with four points, but one of eight from the floor, one of five from deep, and Umoja Gibson really struggled. Only three points on, on a three ball, one of five from deep, one of six from the field. So St. John's up to nine and one overall. DePaul down to five and four overall. But St. John's one and oh in the standings. DePaul 0 oh and one. Another game at 630 on FS2. Well, I guess picking Sienna came back to bite me. I mean, this is the first time I went out on a limb, really, in a in a bye game, and probably since season one. And by the way, that bye game, I happen to be right on. It was Vermont against St. John's back in 2019 when Vermont was really good with Anthony, Anthony Lamb, and he made the game winner, and Vermont pulled the upset. But didn't work this time. Georgetown beat Siena 75-68. And they were able to pull away. I, and by the way, Siena was up 6, 56-50 with 10.46 to go. But Georgetown closed the game on a 25-12 run. And, you know, they made some big plays down the stretch, including a big three from Jay Heath with three minutes left. That made it a two-possession game, and then they got a, a big dunk from a cook, a cook. And Georgetown, they get a big win to get to 5-5. Five and five. Back to 500, 75-68 the final. Brandon Murray, 20 points to lead the way. 7-14 of 14 from the floor, 2-4 for four from deep. 18 from Primo Spears, but 8 assists. 7 of 11 from the floor and made his only three-point attempt of the night. Jay Heath with 16. Just one of six from deep, but that one three-pointer he made, he made it count. And inside the arc, he was 6 for 10 to finish 7 of 16, just a little under 50%. Kudus Wahab, 12 point, 10 points, 12 rebounds. A cook, a cook. He only had two points, but now we know where those two points came. Bryson Mozone, 5 points, 2 for 3 from the floor, 1 of 1 from deep. And then Bradley Ezawiro fouled out in 10 minutes, four points, four rebounds, made his only field goal from the floor, made his only field goal attempt of the game. As a whole, Georgetown was 49% from the field. Five for 16 from deep ain't bad. Well, it's it, okay. Five for 16 is not great, but inside the arc was where they really excelled. 25 of 45, which is right around 55%. Anyways, for the Saints, 21 to lead the way from Jackson Stormo. Seven rebounds, six of 10 from the floor. 12 each for JV and McCollum. And former UNC Tar Heel, Andrew Playtech. Playtech was, he got all 12 of his points from deep where he was four for seven. McCollum, four for 14 from the floor, two of eight from deep. Seven points for Jace Johnson. In 19 minutes, 3 for 6 from the floor, 1 of 3 from deep. Only 3 points on 1 of 7 shooting, 9 rebounds for Jared Billups. The bench was decent though, I mean, 13 combined points, 3 different players with 3 points each, and 2 different players with 2 points each, but kind of an ugly game off the bench for Michael Ellie. 1 of 10 from the floor, and 1 of 4 from deep, so Georgetown. Pretty good win. Now, in the CBS Sports Network commentating debut for Jay Wright. And I thought it was apropos, by the way, that Jay was never the biggest on playing freshman a lot of minutes with some rare exceptions over the past decade, I would say. Like Ryan Archidiakono, Jalen Brunson were the only ones that got starter minutes. Unless he had a situation where he had no choice like with Colin Gillespie back in 2018. Yes, that was his actual freshman year, not 1984. I had to make that joke. I'm sorry. Like, oh, Colin Gillespie was in school forever. Yeah, I know. That's why I made the joke. But it's only apropos that Cam Whitmore, a freshman, star freshman, had a monster game with Jay on the headset. 
Villanova, by the way, only committed six turnovers the whole game. Neither team shot the ball particularly well. But Villanova continues their role with a 70-59 win. And by the way, is Cam Whitmore the X factor now? He has really helped them so much in improving their play after going 0-3 in Portland. But Nova wins 70-59, 21 off the bench in 24 minutes from Whitmore. 7 of 13 from the floor, 2 for 7 from deep. 12 points each for Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon. And Dixon only played 13 minutes. 4 for 7 from the floor, 2 for 3 from deep for Dixon. 3 for 10 from the floor, 1 of 5 from deep for Daniels. Chris Archidiakno played a team-high 36 minutes. 6 points, all from behind the arc where he was 2 for 3. 5 rebounds and a couple assists. 10 points of Brandon Slater in 31 minutes. Mark Armstrong did not score in 20 minutes. How about the freshman Brendan Housen in 13 minutes, 2 for 5. All from deep to finish with 6 points. And then Jordan Longino with a 3-pointer off the bench in 26 minutes. Nova with 10 3-pointers compared to Penn 6. Leading the way for the Quakers, Jordan Dingle with 25 points, 8 of 15 from the floor, 2 for 6 from deep, played all 40 minutes, 15 from Max Martz, and then no one else in double figures. I mean, 19 points from the rest of the team, 6 points off the bench from Eddie Holland the third, a 3 each for Reese McMullen and Andrew Laskowski. Back to the starters, four points from Lucas Monroe, a three from Jonah Charles, and then Nick Spinoso was held scoreless in 16 minutes. So Villanova, they're building some steam. Now, on FS1, Providence getting a kind of win that, oh, take that, you nerds from Ken Palm. Well, obviously Ken Palm boosts teams up when they blow teams out. And Providence finally, they did that Wednesday night against the Manhattan Jaspers. 99-59 to the final. Which, I think that might be their biggest margin of victory since Senior Night 2020. Don't quote me on that. Leading the way for the Friars, 22 from Bryce Hopkins, 11 rebounds, 8 of 12 from the floor, 2 for 3 from deep. Really seems like Hopkins is starting to connect the dots here, and he's looking really good as of late. Ed Croswell with 15 points and 17 rebounds, 6 of 8 from the floor. 12 each from Devin Carter and Clifton Moore. Moore did it off the bench. Carter, 4 for 5 from the floor, 2 for 2 from behind the arc. 7 points for Jaden Pierre off the bench, and same with Clifton. Uh, Corey Floyd Jr. and Alan Breed also had 12 off the bench in 21 minutes. Should have mentioned that as well as though, you know, not to mention they dominated the glass. They out-rebounded Manhattan 51 to 21. That's impressive. Shot nearly 57% from the floor, 41% from deep. So inside the arc, they were 30 of 48. So if I do the math correctly, that's 62.5% inside the arc. And by the way, I did not use a calculator on that because it would have taken me even longer just to type it all in. Um, Other notables, let's see. Rafael Castro with six points. Uh, Jared Bynum, only two points from the free throw line, eight assists. 0 for 8 from the field, 0 for 3 from deep. Noah Locke, 4 points in 19 minutes, 4 rebounds, 2 for 5 from the floor. For the Jaspers, they made 10 three-pointers on 27 attempts. Not so great inside the arc. 11 of 34. Leading the way with 17 was Samir Stewart. 6 of 14 from the floor, 4 for 10 from deep, 5 assists. 13 from Raziel Hayun. Got... 12 of those points from behind the arc where he was 4 for 7, 1 for 1 from the free throw line. Off the bench, 9 points for Marquez Watson in 27 minutes, 3 boards, 5 assists, 7 each from Adam Cisse and 
Logan Padgett. Cissé, three for five from the floor, one of one from deep. Padgett, three for nine from the floor, just one of five from behind the arc, six rebounds. Anthony Nelson, who was their leading scorer coming in, just four points on one of nine shooting in 19 minutes. And then two points for Aryan Aurora. And he only played one minute, so at least he made his time on the court count. Now, in a game, if you're just looking at Seton Hall Twitter, the Seton Hall Twitter group chat, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, they looked beyond incensed because Seton Hall looked sloppy and ugly in the first half. They were turning it, they were turning it over, over and over and over again, missing free throws, doing a lot of just stupid things. That was allowing Lincoln University, a Division II HBCU, to stay in this game. And Seton Hall led 34-29 at the break. But they were able to pull away and win big in the end, 82-55. And that was despite 19 Seton Hall turnovers. And by the way, there's a running joke like, oh, Seton Hall can't make free throws to save their life. Well, luckily, they ran into a team that was even worse from the line than they were. Lincoln was 8 of 17, but they started like 0 for 6 or 0 for 8 or something. It was bad. Seton Hall, after an ugly start from the line, they finished 23 of 32, which is over 70%, so that's something. Pirates out-rebound Lincoln 45-26, end up shooting nearly 51% from the field. And Casey and Defo, not really known for his scoring, leads the way with 17 points, 7 rebounds. By the way, no Kadari Richmond and no Trey Jackson for Seton Hall. Tyree Samuel had his way on the glass and finished with a double-double. 16 points, 14 rebounds, 5 for 9 from the floor. And 6 of 7 from the free throw line. Alamir Dawes with 16 points of his own, 5 for 9 from the floor, 2 for 5 from behind the arc. How about off the bench? Maybe Sean needs to use Jaquan Sanders a lot more. He's a marksman from deep. 4 for 8 from the floor, 3 for 6 from behind the arc. And his three-point percentage is pretty good this year. He has made seven three-pointers in eight games on... No, wait, no, 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 no. Timeout. He's played seven games. He's made seven three-pointers on 18 attempts. So they could use his three-point shooting if they're shorthanded. Tay Davis had 10 points and seven rebounds off the bench in 23 minutes. Four points, eight point six rebounds, excuse me, and three assists from Femi Odukale. Just two points from Jameer Harris. Four assists, just one of six from the floor. Zero for three from behind the arc, and then two points for the walk-on Elijah Muhammad. As for the Lions, five for twelve from behind the arc, but inside of it, on forty-five attempts, just sixteen to forty-five. That's pretty hideous. 15 to lead the way from Corey Williams, the senior. 10 points for Ethan Garita. Four for six from the floor, one of one from deep. Seven points from Peter Sorber. And six points each from Reggie Hudson and Bakir Cleveland. Hudson, though, just two for 10 from the floor, six assists, and Sorber fouled out. The bench only combined for 11 points, four of which came from Janai Coates Sinus, a Newark native. They got a three from Freddie Young Jr. and then two points each from Kamani Hopkinson and Manny Toha. So after a three-game losing streak in which they lose uncharacteristically to Oklahoma, Siena, and then getting crushed by Kansas. Pirates back in the win column. They're now over 505-4, heading into that Garden State Harbor Classic. Now, to the, to the real story of the Big East this year, number five UConn visiting Florida. I was telling you, the BPI is a bunch of bullshit. And UConn proved it by not only beating Florida in the swamp, but decimating them. 75-54 to improve to 10-0. and Adama Sanogo, 17 points to lead the way. 8 of 13 from the floor. 16 off the bench from Donovan Klingon in 8 rebounds in 19 minutes. 8 of 9 from the floor. 
Florida just did not have an answer for either him or Sonogo. And Sonogo was limited to 20 minutes due to foul trouble. By the way, 15 for Jordan Hawkins, 5 for 12 from the floor, 2 for 6 from deep. Andre Jackson, 8 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, but he got his 3 to fall. 2 for 5 from deep, and that, that was all the shots for the game. How about 11 for Joey Calcaterra? I'm going to get it right from now on. 4 for 7 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep, 3 boards and a couple assists. Huskies out-rebound the Gators, 42-28. Tristan Newton with 5 points and 5 boards, 2 for 6 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep. Alex Caravan with a 3 in 12 minutes. And then uh, no points off the bench for Hassan Diara and Naheem Haleen. Each of them played 10 plus minutes again off the bench. Huskies shot nearly 52% from the field, 7 for 19 from deep. They hold Florida to 30% from the field and just 4 of 15 from behind the arc. 13 each to lead the way for Alex Fudge and Riley Kugel. By the way, those two guys were 3 for 3 combined from deep. The rest of the team was just 1 for 12. And they shot a combined 8 of 15 from the field. The rest of the team, 8 of 38. Colin Castleton with 12 points and 8 rebounds, just 4 of 14 from the floor. 7 points for Kowasi Reeves in 27 minutes. Trey Bonham was held scoreless. Well, didn't didn't hit a single shot, but he had 4 free throws. Made all of them in 21 minutes, but over 7 from the floor, over 3 from deep. And then just 5 combined bench points. 3 from Jason Jatobo. And a two from Denzel Aberdeen. So the Huskies continue to roll. Now 10-0. Heading into their final non-conference tilt. Which is coming up on Saturday against a very weak Long Island team. So a lot of downtime now. Between games, but a full weekend slate coming up. I mean, it's it's loaded. You got, I mean, some of the games are left out. I mean, you got the crosstown shootout between Xavier and Cincinnati. Creighton's out in Vegas for the first of two games. Marquette's visiting Notre Dame, as I mentioned. I talked about the Garden State Harbor Classic. Nova and the Never Forget Tribute Classic against former Big East rival Boston College. But as I mentioned, the Igloo is going to be at Georgetown Syracuse Saturday in the Dome. And joining me to break down this game more so from a Syracuse perspective is the sports director of WKTV, the local NBC slash CBS affiliate in my hometown of Utica, New York. A guy I've had the ability to work with over the years on occasion and also happened to play in a celebrity all-star game with uh Back in March of 2019, it's crazy that it was that long ago. But Spencer Davidson, again, the sports director of WKTV here in Utica, New York. He joins me to help help me preview Georgetown Syracuse. Coming up next. Welcome back to the Igloo, folks. So, as you all know, the Igloo will be present at the JMA Wireless Dome. Georgetown Syracuse, 1 o'clock on ABC. Joining me to preview this. A uh, guy that I happen to know from my neck of the woods, the sports director at the local NBC slash CBS affiliate, uh, WKTV, right here in the U, Utica, New York. Uh, colleague, good friend of mine, Spencer Davidson. Spence, uh, I've been, it's really funny. I'm in season four. I've been meaning to find a way to sprinkle in to preview some SU versus either Georgetown or whoever they might draw for the biggies. But it's good to actually get you on this time, man. Yeah, no, it's great to be here, Tim. I really appreciate it. Looking, looking forward to talking some hoops. Um, you know, excited for for winter sports season overall in uh, scholastic sports. It's it's the best. With this Georgetown Syracuse game, I mean, first of all, obviously with the state of both programs, the hype around it is a little deteriorated. But for you personally, I mean, you and I, we both grew up around here. 
But for you personally, I mean, what does the Georgetown Syracuse rivalry mean to you? Any specific fond memories just growing up, seeing some of the great games that were happening, you know, in the 2000s, all the way up until, you know, Syracuse left the Big East for the ACC. Yeah, man. I mean, it's uh, it, it's definitely taken on a much different feel, obviously not, you know, counting in terms of, of conference play anymore. Um, I definitely do feel like for me the last few years, it's almost like you forget what big of rivals these programs were and you forget like, you know, obviously it's always in our minds, you know, but obviously the game is hyped up every year, but for me, it, it has lost a little bit of its luster. Um, you know, I think obviously, you know, some of those, those biggies tournament battles, um, you know, for me, it's funny because I didn't get to see it live of course, but just, you know, the, the highlight of, um, of Pearl Washington's, uh, you know, game winning bucket. Um, I mean, that is just, that's something for me that like, I've gone back and like, I watch that on YouTube, like every so often still. And so I think honestly, my fondest memory is one it's, it's somewhat cliche, but it, that was like, kind of like the defining thing and just seeing like the, the, the court being stormed and just the, like the emotions that were in it. I, I think to, to me, um, you know, those those moments are are uh, what truly made the, the rivalry great. And I feel like honestly, it's almost like a like a Batman and Robin scenario. And I'm not gonna like say who's Batman, who's Robin, but you know, for the sake of being fair to everybody, but you know, like um sorry, Batman and Joker, not Batman and Joker, uh, where you know it's almost like they needed each other. As much as you hate each other, you need each other. Um, you know, you made you made each other great with all the battles and the big moments, and you put each other on the map with all the big games. And so, um, for me, that's kind of what the rivalry means, and I'll always like love that. You know, it's it's hard for me too nowadays because I'm a huge Knicks fan, and so you know. If you're a Syracuse fan back in the 80s, you hate Patrick Ewing because of, he was on Georgetown. But then he comes to the Knicks and, you know, it's Patrick Ewing, you know. And and so uh, I always root for him. And so it's hard for me to see him on the Georgetown sidelines because I love Patrick Ewing and I can't hate Patrick Ewing. So it, I'm a little conflicted because as a Syracuse fan, you're programmed not to like Georgetown. But as a, a huge Knicks fan and a Patrick Ewing fan, I don't want to see him crash and burn unless, you know, he ends up on the Knicks sideline because he gets, he loses his job at Georgetown or something. Then I'll be okay with that. So the game itself, I mean, both of these teams are, like I said, kind of shells of themselves more so Georgetown than Syracuse, but Syracuse, I mean, they're coming off. I don't know how the hell they did it, but they beat <laughs> Notre Dame in South Bend. I mean, is this a sign like Syracuse? might be on the uptick and, you know, who are the big pieces that you're looking at to keep that upward trend going? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly think that is, that's a huge game for this program and especially for the young guys uh, on the team. Um, I think it shows that this program, while maybe the last few years have been really disappointing, um, have been, well, yeah, at least like last year, this year. Um, and then, so, you know, in, in, in the few years before they made their, their sweet 16 run, um, it's largely been disappointing the last decade for Syracuse really. Um, and, um, or at least, you know, six, seven years. And I, I just think a game like that shows that the program does have some, potential life moving forward. There is some potential uh, there on this roster that, you know, these kids, I mean, look at, I mean, Judah Mintz, like I'm so excited about him. Like just, I mean, where he is already so early in his collegiate career and just, you know, the fact that like, he's only just beginning, um, you know, and, and to be able to go into South Bend and win a game in hostile environment against a team who's had a very good start to the season and that's a quality opponent. Um, and, and not only that, but also a one point game, a game that really came down to the wire that you're able to, to close out on a great defensive play at the end of the game. Um, you know, they really defended the the shot in the corner really well. I, I just think that it shows that even if, because to me, this team right now is so up and down and, and a roller coaster 
Um, but I think it shows me that the program has some something there moving forward. Um, obviously, you know, you're going to be losing Jesse Edwards and JG3, but you never know what you're going to get with him. But I, I, I just think it, it gives me some hope moving into the future, even if this year is still is kind of up and down all throughout the year, which is what I kind of kind of expect from this team moving forward. Um, I mean, it's hard to know a lot about Georgetown because of the fact that, you know, they're bottom of the barrel in the biggies. You don't really see much of them except for like some blips in November where you find them in feast week or whatever. But, Mm -hmm. and it's like a completely different roster by the way, but you have seen guys like, for example, a cook, cook was a Yukon guy. Kudus Wahab was on the biggies championship team for Georgetown left for Maryland last year. And now he's back. Uh, This is an interesting group. One that it's experienced, but again, guys that are getting together for the first time, it really is a fresh new team. So what what are you liking about Georgetown? What they might do well, they might have not have looked great, but they certainly yeah. have some guys that can make a difference and win a game like this where it's not really, Syracuse might be favored, but it's not as much of a route at my trend that than one may, may think, you know? Yeah, well, and 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 really, these two programs have been pretty even. The you know, at, at least when it comes to this matchup, the last few years. I mean, they've they've rotated like the last four years, win loss, win loss. So, um, you know, it. it I, I really think this game could go either way. Um, I think the key for for Syracuse for me is actually going to be on the defensive end because you know Georgetown is a team that yeah they've they've struggled they've lost a couple in a row here you know their record is I think five and four or four and five excuse me um, so they're kind of in the same boat as Syracuse in that sense but you know this team actually does shoot pretty well. Um, you know, they're shooting at, you know, short, I think like 44% or whatever as a team throughout the year. Um, still, they still score more points on average than, than they give up per game. Um, this Georgetown team. So, I, I mean, I think for me, it's going to be, you know, can Syracuse be consistent defensively and get stops? Um, you know, obviously you always have to wonder which team Syracuse is going to be at the offensive end and whether or not, you know, they're going to show up, um, you know, and make baskets. But um, I think for me, the defensive end is, is so important for Syracuse in this game, um, being able to to get out and contest shots and, and be able to not allow Georgetown any quality shots, um, you know, make them work for it. And uh, and so that's what I, I think the key is, is, is how well can Syracuse box them in defensively and and really um, kind of stifle. Really, I, I mean, I think the area that, that is the strength of, of the Hoyas. And by the way, you did mention, you know, the evenness in the series where win-loss, win-loss. And it's been the home team now that has won every game in the series, I think the last three, four years, actually, because – no, it's three, because Syracuse won in 19 – actually, no, it is four. Syracuse won at the Horn in 19 in the 19 season. Georgetown beat them in, 20, in the following year. In the COVID year, nobody there. Syracuse beat them. And last year, Georgetown somehow, some way, found a way to win um, in D.C. I mean – this it is an interesting trend, but I think the big thing, if you're Georgetown, you've got to defend the three ball well. Um, yeah. And, but I think if you're Syracuse, you, you know JG three is going to be a guy that gets relied upon. Jesse Edwards looked probably the best game he's played all year, where he stayed out of foul trouble. But who's an X factor that you may need a really good game from? You need maybe like thirty minutes and X amount of points from a guy that maybe hasn't gotten the time to shine and score at a high level. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, honestly, for me, it's going to be which which Joe Girard shows up. You know, obviously, we saw him play much better and look a little bit more like like when he's kind of on his game um, in this this Notre Dame game. Um, I, I definitely think that, you know, he is, is really going to be the key here. I think Jesse Edwards is just on such a roll right now. I, I honestly think that he's going to play well, you know, whenever, whenever you, uh, you know, or whenever he plays, um, you know, who I'd like to see a little bit more from. And I think if he has a good game, it could be really good for Syracuse is Benny Williams. Actually. Um, I think, you know, obviously we know that this kid is talented. Um, he just hasn't taken off yet. And I really think that this could be one of those games where, you know, JG3 has a solid game, but Benny Williams steps, steps up and hits a couple big shots down the stretch. Um, I think that would be a really 
great thing to see if, if I'm, you know, if I'm Jim Beheim and I'm, and I'm, you know, on these teams and, and just as a fan, you know, I want to see Benny Williams break out. And I think this would be a good game to do it, you know, put them on the map in a game. That's like a high, that's high profile nationally televised on, on a network. Um, you know, I just think that this this would be a great time for him to shine. You know, again, I, I think, you know, it's hard to say that Judah Mintz is a guy that um, at this point is like, oh, an unexpected guy to step up because he's been so good all year already. So for me, you know, you need a solid game out of Gerard. And if Ben Williams can get going, I think that's going to be that's going to be really, really good for the Orange. And I think the home crowd, by the way, because we all know. Oh, yeah. Years ago zero fans, but it's going to be vastly different. I mean, obviously when you lose games in that building, the Colgate and Bryant fans may not want to go as much, but when you beat a team like Notre Dame, that kind of sucks them back in. Am I wrong in saying that? Yeah. I mean, they call that house for reason, for reason, right? I mean, when that place is rocking, it's like, it's like no other. And, and know that again, even if it, even if maybe the luster is gone from the the current status of the rivalry, just the fact that the rivalry has been there and fans don't like Georgetown because of the fact that we've always disliked Georgetown, um, I, I think that you know, obviously, it's not going to be difficult for fans to get there, for fans to be up for the game. So yeah, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. It always is when they play Georgetown, and I do think that that is a reason why um, you know a guy like Benny Williams can step you know can step up in this one. I think it's one of those games that you run on adrenaline, and yeah, maybe a kid who just isn't normally. Um, expected to to just be dropping points left and right. Uh, you know, this is a game where he puts himself on the map. So, um, yeah, the crowd's going to definitely be a factor. It's going to be a lot of fun, you know, after four years, three or four years to be able to have fans at the Dome for a Georgetown game. It's going to be awesome. So I will, I'll give a couple keys. Like for Georgetown, what they can't do in order to win, they can't be making stupid mis- mistakes. I don't know how much you saw of them against South Carolina. They had the game one and a careless foul. Jay Heath gets called for a flagrant one because he legit pulled a South Carolina player's jersey. So that up one, that forced them to the line. They make one and two and they force overtime and they lose. So I think Georgetown, they want to win on the road. They can't be making stupid mistakes like that. And like you said, they got to be shooting the three ball well against that two, three zone. Yeah. And I mean, same goes for Syracuse, though. I mean, last yesterday, they did such a good job with the ball. I mean, four turnovers. Um, I mean, you know, you you can't really ask for much better than that. Uh, So for me, you know, Syracuse has to take care of the ball, too. I mean, obviously, it's, again, such so cliche that, you know, you got to limit turnovers in order to win a game. Right. But like, honestly, this is a a Syracuse team that can get so careless sometimes. Um, And, you know, they've honestly they look good in transition. Yes, uh, Saturday against um, uh, Notre Dame. So you know they, a lot of a lot of you know quick transition, um, you know off the defensive stop, going down to the other end. So I, I just think turnovers are are going to be a factor. I think the last few times that we've seen Georgetown and Syracuse play, you know you let sloppiness come into play a little bit, and and the other team's going to take advantage of the opportunities. So for me, Syracuse did a great job protecting the ball um, yesterday you know, limiting their turnovers. And uh, if they can, if they can keep that going, um, I, I, I honestly, I, I, I'm going into this game with, with a, with a cautious optimism um, that they're, that they are going to come out and have potentially, you know, it's tough to beat to best that Notre Dame game, but like in terms of a game that's really high, high emotion, um, you know, I think they're going to have a good performance. So ultimately, um, I mean, I'll go after you, but uh, Spencer, what is your uh, prediction for uh, for this matchup? <laughs> well, um, games have been in like the the really like the seventies, you know, the the low the high sixties, low seventies the last few years. I feel like um, I think that this one is going to be a tight one, like it always is. Um, but I think in the end, I think the crowd and being at home. Um, the atmosphere being uh, hyped up. I, I think that I think Syracuse is going to end up winning by maybe like six, six to eight points. Um, so I, I think it's going to be one of those things that it's really tight 
you know, three-point game late, but then just maybe like, you know, because of fouls and everything, you know, and garbage, not garbage time, but when Georgetown's forced to foul, Syracuse will get a few extra points on free throws, and so they'll build it to like an eight-point win. I'm going to go with, um, let's see, I'm going to go with 76 to 68 Syracuse in this one. All right. You know, that's, I respect, I like that pick a lot. Um, Cause it's a reasonable score. It's one like, yeah, I could see that happening. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm picking Syracuse and I think it might be one of those games, kind of like what we saw in 2019 uh, in 2018, I should say where it was Tyus battle who hit the game winning shot. Yes. I don't know if it's going to come down to that, but I, I think Syracuse, uh, I got him winning by like, I think five to seven, I think is reasonable. I think six points is what we're actually going to see. Um, in terms of an exact score, uh, let's see. I'm going to go with 72-66. That's what I, I, I feel like okay. that's I – mean, yeah, I mean, but you know, I would not be shocked if this ends up yeah. being a shootout where we see both teams in the high 70s to lower 80s. Like, I could totally – Yeah, but yeah. Pretty sure that's what happened last year too. I think yeah, was it like seventy nine, seventy two, or something? Was was that last year? Yeah, I, I can't even remember. I think, I think it may have been like eighty three, eighty or something like that. It was weird. Oh, uh, was that? Maybe it was a couple of years ago that it was in the high seventies. They all blend together at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I I think uh, I, you know, I think seventy six is fair. You know, honestly, um. Georgetown's only scoring or they're scoring about like 73 a game and only giving up like 71 a game or something like that. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of right around what Georgetown gives up each game in Syracuse. You know, again, they, if they're three balls going, you know, they're going to put up the points. So again, Syracuse, Georgetown rivalry renewed one o'clock ABC, the igloo will be there. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm juiced up for it, but even if you won't be in the dome and you know, you're an old biggies guy and you grew up with the rivalry, it's one that even if, with the state of both programs, it's one you got to watch uh, Spencer Davidson again, sports director at WKTV right here in my neck of the woods, Utica uh, Spencer. Thank you so much again for, you know, taking me up on my offer to, you know, come on the igloo and preview this game. Um, much appreciated. And um but obviously I can't thank you enough. So, you know, might as well thank you one more time. So thanks again. And uh, best of luck continuing with uh, KTV. You know, you've been killing it for so many years. I still remember when you were still the assistant under Jason Paulus and here you are now. So thanks again for the time. Man. Long time man. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to, to talk sports, to talk Syracuse hoops. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate it. I am looking forward to this game because I, I, I do think that as hard as it's been to kind of get that same type of feeling since they haven't been conference rivals, um, it's, it is just it's fun just for the nostalgia of it. So I'm looking forward to it. And I really appreciate you, uh, you having me on here to talk about it. Rest of the weekend picks coming up right after this. Welcome back. Thanks again to Spencer Davidson. Kind of last minute, like, I mean, originally it was going to be Omar from Hoya Breakdown and Spencer, but things changed, and the plan B that I came up with, Spencer was going to do this preview with me for Georgetown Syracuse, and Omar was going to talk about the off-court stuff, because it all kind of happened quickly, with Harris entering the portal, and the free ticket for DC Natives news, and all and the Mark Fiscarelli tweet. Yeah, a lot happened, but uh, thank you to both of those guys who have been on this week, and particularly in this instance, thank you, Spencer, for uh, helping me preview Georgetown and Syracuse. And so as you heard, my pick, I'm going with Syracuse in a close one. Now, other picks, I mean, UConn's going to decimate Long Island. Providence will do the same to Albany. Those games are back-to-back, by the way, on FS1. 12.30 for... LIU UConn, 230 for Albany Providence. I just want to get the cupcakes out of the way. Like St. John's will beat New Hampshire at six o'clock on FS2. And then the other, and that's the cupcakes. Let's get into the fun stuff. Some of the rivalries. Crosstown shootout. Xavier Cincinnati at Fifth Third Arena, three o'clock ESPN2. Xavier manhandled the Bearcats last year at Cintas. It's a new era. Xavier 
obviously under Sean Miller. And Cincinnati, if my if my memory serves me correct, and I don't want to get it wrong for reasons of not getting crucified on Twitter for it, they also have a Miller as their head coach, Wes Miller. So it's a battle of the Millers. And by the way, it's crazy. Wes Miller, you know, he's been a head coach across multiple programs. And he also has a national championship ring, which he won at UNC back in 2005. I mean, for one of the best teams in this millennium, I would say. But don't get me wrong. I respect Cincinnati. They're a good team led by David DeJulius. Landers Nolly is another solid player you got to respect. Those two guys averaging a combined roughly 31 points a game. Pretty good numbers. Xavier knows how to get up and down the court. And they had a really good win against West Virginia last week. Well, this past Saturday, I should say. But... Xavier, I just think they're more loaded. They have five guys averaging double figures, and those five guys, I put them against any other starting five in the country, they, they're going to challenge every single one, even the very best of the best. So I, I got Xavier winning on the road, which would be another win in the Crosstown shootout for the Muskies, who have had the upper hand for the most part over the last decade or so. 5 o'clock of the Pac-12 Network, Butler and Cal. I swear to Jesus, if Butler loses this game, this will be another level of embarrassing. Because as we know, Cal and Louisville are the teams in, among power conferences that are getting clowned on for being winless. Cal is 0-10, which includes a pair of, of Pac-12 losses, one to USC, the other at Arizona. And Arizona, they... They challenged them, at least. So that's respectable. But, I mean, they're 0-10 for a reason. They're not a good basketball team. I got Butler winning at Haas Pavilion. And for Butler's sake, they better win by a lot. Continuing on, 5 o'clock on Fox. Villanova taking on Boston College. Villanova's finally got it going with the with Cam Whitmore coming into the fold. Beat a solid Oklahoma team at Wells Fargo, and then they beat a pretty good, a respectable Penn team. That's expected to be one of the better teams in the Ivy League. Now that they got things rolling, they're taking on a Boston College team that is clearly one of the worst in the ACC, who just lost to New Hampshire in overtime. No doubt in my mind, Villanova wins. Now, DePaul hosting UTEP. UTEP 6-2, by the way. Their only losses, they lost at Texas in their season opener. And their other loss came at New Mexico State. So UTEP is a respectable opponent. I think DePaul gets it done, though. But UTEP is going to find a way to make it a game. I I just know it. I think DePaul wins by like 7. If I were to put a number on it. Now, 10 o'clock on FS1. Little late night action in Vegas at Michelob Ultra Arena. 21st rate Creighton trying to bounce back against BYU. Cougars, by the way, are 5-5 five and five this year. And they lost to Butler in the battle for Atlantis. I respect BYU, but Creighton, after getting beaten and quite frankly embarrassed by Nebraska at home, they got to bounce back here because that was an embarrassing... And by the way, they, they're on a three-game losing streak. They lost in the Maui Invitational Final and then lost at Texas, as we know, and then Nebraska beat... Like, the first two losses are respectable. The Nebraska home loss is not acceptable. And I think everyone in the locker room, from the head coach down, they all know it. And they're going to bounce back and beat BYU in the first leg of that of their two-game run in Las Vegas.
Now, Sunday, 4 o'clock ESPN2, Marquette at Notre Dame. Notre Dame 7-2. They're only, they've had some weird losses. They lost to St. Bonaventure in the Gotham Classic. You know, on Long Island. And then they lost at home to Syracuse, which was puzzling. But they have, they, they beat Michigan State easily in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Don't get me wrong, I like what Marquette's doing this year, but they they kind of show blips of inconsistency. You know, they blow out Baylor, but they lose to Wisconsin at home. And I'm not trying to say that Wisconsin's a bad team, but given how they looked against Baylor, you would think they would have taken care of business against Wisconsin. But they didn't. I guess, you know, coming off the high of that big upset, a bit of a hangover. So, you kind of got that on-again, off-again thing with Marquette. But, in the end, I think Notre Dame wins. It's good that they're renewing this. Well, they were rivals still in the Big East, but they were rivals long before that. So, give me Notre Dame winning a tight one. I would say by five over Marquette. Now, Seen Hall and Rutgers in the Garden State Hardwood Classic. By the way, John Fanta on the call for that for FS1 at 630. 100% deserved. Listen, my heart's telling me the Pirates are going to win by one. Like, they're going to find a way to just pull it out and win. But my brain's telling me Rutgers is going to win by double digits because the last time Seton Hall was in this building, they got beaten by 20. Mamu was out because he had suffered a wrist injury the week before and a loss to Iowa State. If we're, you know, turning back the clock to 2019. So, Ceno loses 68-48, a 20-point loss. And Miles Powell got so concussed in that game that he thought, and he asked Kevin Willard in the huddle, guys, or not, just asked the huddle in general, guys, why are we practicing at Rutgers? He got that fucked up from a concussion <laughs> that he thought they were practicing at Rutgers. I don't know why, but I think I still think that's hilarious to this day. It, and listen, I know because ser- concussions are serious injuries and they deserve to be taken seriously, but I don't know. Just the fact that he got so concussed and they, the fact that they still played him a few more minutes after that. Like, <laughs> it's horrible, but it's horribly funny. Like, it's not supposed to be funny, but how horrible it is makes it comical. But yeah, long story short, Rutgers is probably going to beat Seton Hall probably by double digits. And again, emphasis on probably. So, that is going to do it for this edition of the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you again to Spencer Davidson for helping me preview Georgetown and Syracuse. And again, I will be there at the Dome on Saturday. I'll have a women's episode tomorrow, but if you're not going to tune in for that, listen, I'm not going to mosh you for it. I recommend that you do, because... The women's game deserves respect as well. But if you're if you're not going to listen to that, um, if you're here, here and now, this is just my plea. For some of you, I know watching Georgetown Syracuse will be torture because both of these teams are not that good for high major Division I college basketball standards, right? But hopefully... Maybe you can watch a little bit of it. Maybe you'll spot me courtside. I'll be live tweeting the game and I will have, you know, be recording post-game content for the show, you know, post-game press conference stuff. If I get the chance to ask any questions, I will bring that content to you on the next men's edition of the Igloo, probably coming out, I would say Monday. So, 
again, next women's episode is out tomorrow and you got a couple and obviously something big to cover something that has happened since the last episode I recorded, which was obviously the unfortunate news regarding the status of AZ FUD as the injury bug continues to plague star players at UConn. And it's now two years in a row that the injury bug has bit UConn's star player. So that my thoughts on that and other action happening around the league on the next edition of the Igloo, again, coming out on Friday, a.k.a. tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time here on the coolest college basketball podcast out there, the Igloo.